The text for this morning, brothers and sisters, is taken from Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Following the ministry of the word, let's sing in response hymn three, the stanzas one, two, and five. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you a thankful person? Do you think about how the Lord has blessed you? And does this lead you to acknowledge him in all that you say and do? We all experience challenges and difficulties in our lives at one time or another. And sometimes it may seem to us as if, they, as if the hard times never let up. For some people, there may be financial struggles. Others feel locked in by their job or perhaps by their marriage. And if this is you, you may be thinking, if only the situation would change, then I would be happy. It may indeed be true that you would feel happier in other circumstances. For many of us, a change could make a difference, at least for a while. Wouldn't we all like to be physically and mentally healthy? Wouldn't it be great if getting old would not be linked with decreasing energy and failing health? David, who is the author of Psalm 145, was a healthy individual for many years. As time went by, however, he certainly had challenges to deal with. Think of the years he had to flee from King Saul, who was out to kill him. And once he became king, he had a great degree of freedom and financial prosperity. And nevertheless, if you read the Psalms that he composed, there are lamentations about enemies as well as other problems. David had to deal with attacks from abroad. There were backstabbers among his own people who tried to undermine him with words and political machinations. And next to that, think of the family problems he had. One of his sons sexually assaulted one of his daughters. And then there was Absalom, who almost succeeded in dethroning David in order to become king in his place. The Bible also tells us about how David's strength declined toward the end of his life. It portrays him as an old man lying in bed, shivering, because he just couldn't get warm anymore. And keeping this in mind, don't you find it striking how Psalm 145 begins? Look at the two verses right before our text. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Isn't that something? 
There we hear David making a resolution. And this resolution doesn't depend on circumstances in his life. He doesn't just want the praise of God to be the general pattern of his life with possible exceptions in particular circumstances. He never wants to stop acknowledging God who has revealed himself to his people. He declares his intent to extol God, his God and King at all times. And don't overlook how specific David's words are. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. No one can do this without a lot of prayer. Think of the words of the hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Why would we sing and pray like that? The answer can be found in our text. The theme is, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And we'll focus on two points. Meditate on his greatness. And number two, talk about his greatness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Meditate on his greatness and talk about his greatness. By means of this psalm, David is teaching us the ABCs of thankfulness. Psalm 145 is what is called an acrostic poem. What does that mean? That's a poem where each verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And there's a reason for using this kind of a structure. It helps people memorize the words of this psalm. And maybe you're thinking, well, that that doesn't help me. I don't know any Hebrew. And that may be true, but there's still a point in knowing about the structure of this psalm. David is impressing the ABCs of life with the Lord on our hearts. He is teaching us why it's important to exalt our God, acknowledging his greatness. This psalm is designed to teach us to echo the words of our text. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. How can you praise God from day to day? That will only happen if you know him and let the meaning of this psalm sink into your heart. Why does David declare his intention to extol or exalt our God? Why does he want to praise God's name forever and ever? Because great is the Lord. Hold on to that thought. It's fundamental for our interaction with God. 
David identifies God by using his name, Lord. You see that spelled with full capitals. And don't take it for granted that we know that name. God has revealed himself as the Lord, the faithful God of the covenant. When you see the word Lord printed in full capitals in Hebrew, you would read the name Yahweh, the covenant name of our God. He is the God who is there. Just think of what he said to Moses when Moses asked him, what's your name? And he said, I am who I am. That's not just simply a statement about his existence. It's a statement about his presence. He is the God who is there, Yahweh. He is the great I am, the God of grace. He is the God who is there for his people. And the Lord has revealed his greatness throughout the history of this world. There are no shortages in the blessings that God gives us. The first blessing is the world that he made for people to live in. He has given ample provision through his creation for their continued existence. Great is the Lord. He reveals his greatness throughout the world. David declares in verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Our Lord Jesus Christ took up that same theme about a thousand years later, declaring that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And the Apostle Paul makes use of this same theme in his missionary outreach to the people of Lystra in the province of Galatia. He called them away from worshiping idols, pointing to God, who did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Evolutionists claim that everything came about by chance, but there are so many things that remain unexplainable. They believe that everything came out of nothing. And if some would argue instead that matter and energy have always existed, the question remains, where did all that come from? We read in Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All that God had to do was speak, and what we see around us came into existence. And there is structure and order to God's creation. People who study ecology, the balance of nature, can tell you how intricately everything fits together in this world in which we live. 
Those who study astronomy can inform you that if the earth were any closer to the sun, we would be burnt to a crisp. And if the earth were further away, we would all freeze. The Lord our God puts his greatness on display for us. He didn't just create this world and then stand back. He continues to be involved in his creation. We speak of the laws of nature. And that's an observation about how regular so many things in creation are. But this is because of how God made things and maintains them. All around the globe, we see evidence of God's mighty deeds. An expression in verse 4 of this psalm that can also be translated as miraculous acts. And don't think in this connection only of the mighty acts of God, such as displayed in the plagues of Egypt or other forms of divine intervention for the benefit of his people. The ongoing patterns of nature are part of God's mighty, miraculous acts. In the process, we benefit. Imagine how impossible life would be if all the water on the earth remained in salty oceans. Now the sun shines and water evaporates. Clouds form and rain falls. In so many places in this world, there's water to drink. Without fresh water, most forms of life would not survive. And now all sorts of creatures thrive throughout God's creation. What a marvelous testimony to the creativity and continuing power of our God. Verse 16 expresses awe at this. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Day and night pass by in regular succession. One season gives way to the next. Planting gets followed by a season of growth. And then harvest comes. God continues to show his faithfulness from year to year. In Job 5 verse 9, Eliphaz the Temanite speaks about God doing great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. <clears throat> the first example that Eliphaz mentions is that God gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. Only after that does he refer to divine acts of deliverance, beginning with the statement that God sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn, are lifted to safety. In Job 9 verse 10, Job acknowledges the truth of what Eliphaz has said. He describes how God reveals his power in catastrophic events in nature, identifying him as the creator of the stars, the one who made that bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. 
And Job then echoes the statement of Eliphaz, affirming that God does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Those statements predate our text where David proclaims, great is the Lord, and then concludes with the words that his greatness is unsearchable. The statement about God's greatness being unsearchable is worth reflecting on further. There are times in our lives when things happen and we don't understand why. At such times, think about the greatness of our God. We can't figure out all the details of his work in creation. And this means we should also not expect to understand all of his dealings with us in the course of our lives either. Let it be enough to find comfort in trusting that our faithful God is in control of everything. Great is the Lord. David, who is king, exalts the Lord as his God and king. He rejoices in the bond that he has with God. This bond is the bond of the covenant once established with Abraham. It's a bond in which God promises to be God not only to Abraham, but also to his descendants after him. And that's a source of comfort and strength to all who put their trust in the Lord. And David, therefore, humbles himself before his maker, acknowledging God's sovereignty. Earthly kings may have a high position, but God is above all. He is above all. He has shown his greatness in the history of this world and in the life of his people. A special blessing is that he has seen fit to reach out to sinful people like you and me. And the revelation of his grace already began in paradise after Adam and Eve fell into sin. He called out to them, even though they deserved death. He reestablished a bond with them, a bond based on his forgiving love. David testifies to the constancy of that love in verse 8. There he echoes the word of the Lord when he passed before Moses, revealing his glory at the time Moses went up Mount Sinai for the second time to receive the two tablets of the testimony containing the ten words of the covenant. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Even when things happen that are hard for you to understand, stay focused on the grace, mercy, and steadfast love of the Lord. He will help you no matter how insurmountable your difficulties may seem. The psalmist isn't overlooking the misery which has come into this world as a consequence of man's fall into sin. Look at verse 14. 
The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. His point is that there is no blessing which does not come from the Lord. He's the one who does it. Even in the midst of all kinds of difficulties, there are still blessings to count. There are still reasons for thanking God as the giver. This world has been marred by sin and its consequences. It's a world in which the wicked also operate, causing people to cry out in distress. People need help. And that's why David encourages us to call on the Lord in prayer. Whatever might happen, God will fulfill his promises. He extends his mercy and grace to sinners. Listen to what David says in Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him. That's a variation on what can be called the Emmanuel promise. God with us. When the Lord promises to be near to us, he's promising to be with us and to help us. His presence is the greatest gift we can imagine. It's far greater than anything else we might receive from him. And keep in mind the condition for that to happen. We need to call on him in truth. Acknowledge the Lord as the one true God and the only source of lasting help. Come to him with repentant hearts. That's part of what it means to call on him in truth. Fall back on his promises, trusting that he will be with us for the sake of Jesus Christ, his son. And this doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord will take away every difficulty in this life. But there is a future, as David puts it, for all who fear him, which means to respect and revere the Lord. David writes that the Lord hears their cry and saves them. And the verb translated as saves in verse 19 is Yasha. It's directly linked to the Hebrew name Yehoshua, which means Jesus. How does the Lord save his people? Not just by taking care of their material needs. The salvation that we need is more than just a resolution of whatever temporary difficulties we may encounter in this life. We need a solution to the problem of sin and its effects. Sin separates us from God. That's our greatest problem. Our deepest desire should be to have that problem resolved. Only God can bridge the gap, enabling us to call on him. 
And then we find out that he is near us. He solves whatever issues we face through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone through faith in our Savior. And knowing this, we learn to praise God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Meditate on his greatness. Talk about his greatness. This is our second point. Truly the Lord our God is great. Talk about his greatness displayed in creation. His mighty acts of the past and his continuing work of providence in the present are evidence of his power and majesty. Marvel at the ongoing work of the Lord in the course of the history of this world. He displays his greatness by blessing his people. His wonderful and awesome work gives us reason to celebrate his abundant goodness. As David says in verse 7. He also displays his greatness by bringing judgment on the adversaries of his people. When we are oppressed, he comes to our aid. And God's enemies suffer the consequences. Think of what the Israelites went through in the land of Egypt during centuries of bondage. The Lord came to their aid, commanding Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go. And when Pharaoh refused, God struck the Egyptians with ten plagues to demonstrate his sovereignty. That's a prelude to the final judgment that will take place when Christ returns. It will be the culmination of the promise we read in Psalm 145 verse 20 where David tells us that the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And knowing that gives us hope for the future no matter how the enemies of God's people oppressed them. He will display his greatness in his final victory over all his enemies. That will also be the victory of the Son of God, as foretold in the book of Revelation. Think, for example, of Revelation 17, verse 14, which describes ten kings engaging in war along with the beast against the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. John writes that the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Satan and all who side with him have raged against Christ and his church throughout history. At times, it seemed as if nothing would be left of God's people. And the same may happen in the future. Whatever the case may be, the wicked will not be successful. 
The Lord reveals his love in a glorious way through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when we talk about God's greatness, let's therefore not forget the work of our Savior. Long before his incarnation, he was already at work. The author of the letter to the Hebrews reminds us at the beginning of his letter that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Don't attribute the work of creation exclusively to the Father. The Father worked through the Son. And that's why Jesus, as the coming Messiah, was already referred to in Isaiah 9, verse 6, as mighty God. His power as the Son of God is no less than that of the Father. David wrote in verse 1 of our text, before our text, I will extol you, my God, the King. And we echo that truth when we exclaim, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Keep in mind the scope of what this means. In the light of the New Testament, we understand this to include equal honor to Jesus Christ, who is also God and King. The disciple Thomas recognized this when he saw the resurrected Jesus. He exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Indeed, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, fully human, but also fully divine. All the blessings that we receive are channeled through him to us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, atoned for our sins by his death on the cross. He also arose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the Father. The Son of God, whom we know as Jesus Christ, continues to be active. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, we read that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word of power. Do you see the connection between the, evolve, the involvement of the Son of God in the continuing existence of creation and his work of salvation? He is at the right hand of the Father as our high priest, but he also reigns as king, sustaining this world in which we live. Look beyond troubles here on earth. Stay balanced when you hear of violence in places such as the Middle East or elsewhere. Or the potential of violence in the Ukraine. Don't worry about conspiracies in this world. Whatever happens, extol our God, the King. He continues to be in control. He will never fail to take care of all who love him. So bless his holy name forever and ever. 
And when we reflect on the greatness of our God, don't forget the work of the Holy Spirit. This third person of the Trinity was present at the beginning of creation, the creation of the universe. And he sustains life here on earth from season to season. In Psalm 104 verse 30, the psalmist marvels at the work of the Spirit in regard to the creatures here on earth. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And the Holy Spirit is not only at work in creation around us, he also enlightens our minds and hearts, giving the gifts of faith and spiritual insight. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, the verses 12 to 13, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Extol the name of our God and King. David declares his intention to God. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. He doesn't foresee that there will ever be a time where there won't be reason to do this. God is unfathomably great and his activity for his people will continue through the centuries. Reflect on God's greatness. And the more you do that, the more likely it will be that you will feel compelled to talk about him to people around you. Look at what David says right after our text. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Talk to the young people among us about what God has done and continues to do. Parents, are you doing this? Are you talking to your children about God's mighty acts? Don't be slow to praise him also by how you talk to children and to other people around you. From day to day, be on the, be on the lookout for reasons to acknowledge that our God is worthy of all honor. A young man once asked me how to talk about God to someone he met at a local public high school. I suggested to him that he should begin by talking about God's work in creation. And the next step would be to talk about his work through Jesus Christ. And to do this properly involves talking about the well-known three parts of our Heidelberg Catechism. To explain the gospel properly to someone, begin with uh, what we know about our sins and misery. And that sets the stage for talking about how we are delivered from all our sins and misery. And once this is clear, you can focus on the question of 
how to show thankfulness to God for our deliverance. And when you talk about deliverance, describe what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he does in us. What did he do for us? He paid the price for the forgiveness of our sins by his death on the cross. What does he do in us? He renews and equips us to lead a new life. And this puts the matter of showing thankfulness to God for deliverance in a special light. We don't do good works in order to earn salvation. We do them because the saving work of Jesus Christ continues throughout our lives. He has set us free from the power of sin and death, enabling us to live and work in fellowship with our triune God. Be aware of his presence in your life and of his work in you and through you. And talking about all this is not as hard as it may seem. Just keep in mind those three basic concepts as explained in the catechism. You can express them in three words. Sin, salvation, and service. Psalm 145 summarizes this for us when it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Beloved, pray for open eyes to see this. We experience his nearness and his blessings in many ways on a daily basis. And the help that the Lord gives should move us to call on him again and again with confidence. He is our God. He is faithful to his promises. God's greatness is indeed unsearchable. There is no end to thinking about it. Our desire should be to do what David declares to God in Psalm 145, the verses 11 to 12. Namely, to speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. He returns to that theme at the end of this psalm. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. In his grace, God promises us a glorious future with him. Join together with all his people in praising him with thankful hearts. Talk about how he has revealed himself and continues to display his majesty, power, and grace. And make it your goal to encourage others to join in echoing that praise. Those will be words that have everlasting value. Amen.